Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Roughly a Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Boyd, joined once again without co-host Phil Smeraldo. Um, he is uh, back on the IL, suspended. It's unclear to me. Uh, if you want to question Phil's integrity, his heart, his dedication uh, to the podcast, that's up for you to do. I would never do that uh, to such a close friend. But happy to uh, to join by myself. I had a lot of stuff uh, ready to go for this week anyway. So uh, we'll just plug on through. You know the deal uh, with these with these solo podcasts. That they're they're a little rough trying to to do it yourself, but uh, we'll make do and hopefully give you a, enough information to hold you over uh, for uh, until next week. So we'll start with some news and notes of what has happened in the last week or so. Some some interesting injury updates, both in the positive and the negative, um, and then some news from around the league as well. That's that's certainly interesting. And then I'll have three points for for you, and then we'll get out of here. Uh, with uh, with all that. So news and notes. Mariners lost last night in a very frustrating fashion, 3-0 to the Houston Astros in Houston, in a game where they just could not do anything on offense against uh, not Justin Verlander this time, but Jake Odorizzi, a much, much less intimidating veteran and much younger veteran, actually, than, than Verlander. Um, I think he's only in his early 30s instead of late 30s as it is with Verlander. And Verlander will be the Third guy the M's faced this series, which, uh, you know, <laughs> means that to win this series, the Mariners would have to not only win today on Tuesday, but then also uh, beat their nemesis Verlander on Wednesday. So good luck with that one. But in addition to that, the Mariners also went two and four in their road trip down to Florida against the Rays and Marlins. Logan Gilbert was named AL Pitcher of the Month. Interestingly enough, former Mariner uh, Pablo Lopez was named NL Pitcher of the Month. Uh, don't look up. <laughs> who Pablo Lopez used to play for. Uh, it is one of the trades that DePoto made early in his tenure as GM to uh, bolster a Mariners bullpen just to, to try and hold it over to get David Phelps. David Phelps didn't do a whole lot for the Mariners and I think is now a Blue Jay or something. But uh, yeah, that one uh, that one hurts. Um, on the injury front, Kyle Lewis is rejoining the Rainiers this week for a rehab stint. Uh, should join the Rainiers this week as they are down in Salt Lake to play whatever that uh, AAA affiliate team is, and then hopefully be up with the Mariners fairly soon after that. Where he'll play, how often he'll play, is uh, and what he'll look like when he does play is an entirely different story. So lots to come on the Cal Lewis front, but he should be joining the big league club soon, soonish. Uh, and then, interestingly or conversely, on the on the injury front in right field or the outfield, Mitch Haniger had a high ankle sprain. Uh, down in Miami um, that was uh, a little hard to watch and should be out for at least a couple of weeks with uh, with uh, that injury. And then former Mariner news, Robinson Cano, he of uh, the 10-year $240 million contract back in 2014 or 2013 with the Mariners was then uh, had, you know, was pretty damn good, then got popped for steroids and then uh, was traded with Edwin Diaz along or uh, over to the New York Mets to get us back Jared Kelenic, who we'll talk about later, Justin Dunn, um, and some other pieces as well. Um, Robinson Cano was just DFA'd by the Mets as the Mets had to trim their roster down from 28 to 26. Cano was among those cuts. Uh, so the $24 million a year man is uh, just currently in a baseball state of purgatory until a team picks him up, if they do, uh, which will be interesting to see. Um, just a, a strange unfolding of his uh, end of his contract. You know, Albert Pujols and uh, some of these other guys who have had these huge contracts have, you know, carried through, uh, but, you know, just been able to unable to be as as productive as they had earlier in their careers. And Cano 
actually was just cut. And that's kind of a first for, uh, for a baseball team to, to do that. But, you know, it came down to his effectiveness and what he could provide the team and Mets decided there was uh, none of that left for them Our three outs for this. So through the news and notes, notes portion portion of this, um, and just into three broader points about, uh, you know, what has happened in the last week or so with Mariners baseball. First, I just want to say, you know, as a blanket statement for lots of reasons, fuck Florida. Uh, Florida was, Florida is just a, it's a tough place no matter what for lots of reasons. But uh, from a baseball perspective, even just zooming in here was not kind to the Mariners at all. Tropicana Field is a bouncy house, house of horrors. Uh, just uh, even the game the Mariners won down there was wonky as hell. Uh, the Rays, who are airtight defensively, committing errors all over the place. Um, some weird bounces, some just strange bloop type stuff happening throughout that series. Um, go ahead and move that team to Montreal. I'm, I, I don't think anyone in St. Petersburg would be too upset by that. Um, and then also, fuck Lone Depot Park, where the Marlins play. Also a very weird stadium. Gross aesthetically. It just looks like a giant uh, cavernous green screen of a baseball park. And uh, it's really huge and, and not really a fun place to, to, I don't know, it just feels like, yeah, they're probably compensating for humidity and heat down there. And you want to make a, a ballpark that isn't just a, um, a gong show allowing home runs, but at, a, at, a, at the same time, you kind of need people in the park. And uh, it, it seems like smaller fences and more electric environment in there would, would be helpful, but instead they've, they've created the biggest stadium in the world. It feels like um, just from a vantage point. And then um just some, some other notes, actual baseball notes from, from those series run differential slash fund differential has been weaponized at different points or uh, been the enemy of Mariners baseball fans last year, as the team was uh, constantly looking up in the red uh, with, with regards to run differential this year, they're still in the green with run differential. uh, But um, you know, it's kind of when you're a good team, you can use run differential to your advantage to explain how things are about to come come a changing for you. And uh, we'll start that process. Now that Miami series, yes, they lost two of the three games, but the run differential in that series was 14 for the Mariners, 14 for the Marlins in the Tampa series. It was 11 for the Mariners and nine for the Rays. So, uh, you know, they ultimately came out net positive run differential in those six games, but lost four of them. And that's, that's just baseball in the macro. Uh, some actual troubling points about um, some some two players here. Um, there's many, many players to talk about always, but um, in the lim- limited amount of time we have just focusing on two guys in this specific point with the, uh, the Florida series. One is Matt Brash. Um, and I had a, a Trump voice prepared here of like, what about Matt Trash as, as his nickname? Um, there are times when Matt Brash looks like Matt Trash because of, of just how wild he can be. He is akin to watching uh, just one of those, those like wiffle ball videos where the guy is throwing it, you know, maybe it's his kid throwing at another kid and the ball is doing crazy things and it's fun to watch, but it's not effective right now. It's not, it's not producing um, into, or it's not correlating into actual success for Brash. Brash has been very erratic is behind in counts way too often. And that is causing problems. And, and, you know, he can look no further than a guy like, or we can look no further than uh, a guy like Logan Gilbert on that same Mariner staff as a, as a, a uh, resource for how Matt Brash can be more effective in handling his, his stuff. Because Matt Brash, I mean, from a movement perspective, spin rate, 
Um, you know, he's got to be one of the more interesting, um, appealing options that the Mariners have. But uh, as I said, just walking way too many guys, you know, only pitch two innings against, against Miami. So what's the problem, right? Matt Brash has a very good fastball, 97 miles an hour or thereabouts, um, can get up to that at least good spin. Um, yes, the, the, the slider, the curve are interesting pitches that move a lot and got him on pitching ninja and are really hard for, for batters to deal with, but they matter not if you can't get ahead in counts. Matt Brash, when it's OO counts, so the start of an at-bat, uh, his pitch percentage in those at-bats is, or his pitch percentage of a fastball in those OO counts is 46.2%. I mentioned Logan Gilbert earlier. What's Logan Gilbert, AL Pitcher of the Month? His is 77.1%, right? Fastball, much more control as a pitcher. You can direct it a little bit easier um, and get it to where you want it to be because the movement isn't a factor with it necessarily. Um, and so Logan uses that fastball, starts off on the right foot, starts to get into better counts. So that allows him to use his off-speed stuff as breaking stuff um, later in counts and either draw weak contact or just get swings and misses. Uh, and, and for 01 counts, or sorry, for 10 counts, so that's after a ball, um, Matt Brash's fastball percentage, 45%, Logan Gilbert's 72.3%, right? So in these counts where, where Matt Brash is, is either um, needs to start off, get into 01 or get back to 1-1, he's just not throwing the fastball uh, in a way that I think he should, right? There's, there's too much of the, let's throw the slider, throw the change up. Yeah, they look great, but batters just aren't going to hit it and they're going to wait until they get fastballs later in the counts when Matt Brash has to overcompensate get back into the count and that's when they tee off and that's when they can, they can uh, do more damage. And so it's a bit of a catch 22 because you know, it's, it's it, that the fastball is the both the pitch that the batters can hit, but then also the pitch that Brash needs to throw. Uh, but early in those counts, he has to get into position uh, where the, the batter is not advantaged by the count and, and take advantage and get into those one Oh one Oh two counts uh, where he can really throw whatever he wants and, uh, and force swings and misses from batters. So, uh, this is, I think, all workable with Brash, but certainly something to, to keep in mind um, as you watch him going forward, excuse me, there is uh, how often is he throwing that fastball early in counts. Jesse Winker is the other player I want to talk about here. All right. Jesse Winker is starting to come around. Uh, this is all stats that I'm using for today's podcast are uh, not including the 3-0 game against Houston. Um, all research was done before that, but Jesse Winker is starting to find a little bit of grass with the contact that he's making um, and, and finding less gloves at the other end of, of uh, his hits. He had a three hit day on Sunday. His last six games has a WRC plus over 100 at 110, but the power has got to come with Winker. Uh, he is, his hard hit percentage is down almost 15% from last year where he was averaging, I think like 46% um, hard hits, which is just crazy. Um, and that those numbers are way down. And so he's got to start hitting the ball harder. He's done a great job of, of uh, making swing decisions and drawing walks and getting on base despite this hard hit percentage. But uh, the Mariners aren't, you know, hoping he can just get to first on walks, right? He's not uh, that type of player. Ideally, he's the guy doing a lot of damage and driving runs uh, by, by really hitting into gaps. And so uh, that will come. Winker is a great hitter that's been established, but these power numbers are definitely a little bit, uh, a little bit troubling with him. Speaking of troubling, to move on to our second out, which is Jared Kellenick, who has had a tough go. He had a uh, kind of a stat cast friendly 0 for 3 or 0 for 4 yesterday in Houston, where he had a ball that um, uh, was deep to center that kind of got hung up in the air. 
there down in Houston. It seemed like it could have left, left the yard um, and a couple other nice, or I think at least one other nice line drive out as well, but bottom line, he's got to start producing. We'll start with the defense because he has been very solid there. He is a, a plus or above average in terms of outs above average, the, uh, the metric that Statcast uses to, uh, to track basically a player's defensive abilities relative to their, to their position. Uh, the, his, his hose of a, of a right arm has been on full display or left arm. I should say, I think he throws left, but anyways, uh, Jared Kellenick has been fantastic at, at throwing guys out. The, his arm strength is, is, uh, evident, um, which is great. seems like right field is a natural home for him in that regard. Um, but the bat was supposed to be a lot better than this. And we're seeing a lot of troubling things, uh, with his swing and miss percentage this year, uh, the, the swing and miss percentage with, with Kellenick is up on everything fastballs. He's missing up more on uh, off-speed pitches. He's missing more on breaking pitches. He's missing, missing more on uh, he's up nearly 12% overall on his swing and miss percentage from last year. And it was already bad last year. Uh, last year, he was 15th from the bottom of the league in terms of runs lost due to swing decisions. Um, so basically, you know, just your, your, uh, you know, whether you're swinging it, uh, you know, you want to be swinging at pitches in the middle of the zone because those are going to be strikes and those are the pitches you can do damage on. And then as you get farther and farther out from the middle of the zone, those are the pitches you uh, want to be a little more reserved on. And as they're fully out of the zone, definitely not swinging at because even if you do make contact, it's not going to be the good kind. Uh, so there, there's uh, the, the stack has breaks the, the strike zone into sections. There's the heart. So imagine the middle of the, the strike zone. The shadow is kind of the rectangle around that that's still within the strike zone, but a little bit closer to the edge of it. Uh, chase, which includes um, the outside of the strike zone. So just out, you know, kind of on the fringe and then waste, which is pitches that are clearly out of the strike zone um, that, uh, that, you know, you can't, you know, those are waste pitches from the pitcher. No reason to be swimming on those. Of those categories, right? Kellenick's worst category is the chase zone, right? He's tied for second in the league with a bunch of other guys in terms of runs lost due to swing decisions in that zone uh, with the previously mentioned Robinson Cano DFA because he was swinging at, uh, well, just not performing, but in part because he was having these swing and miss issues uh, with the Mets. All of this, I think, is, is odd, right? It, 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 there's, there's clearly a mental block here with Kellenick and, and the, the chase part of things is really the, the troubling part is his ability to identify pitches that he should not be trying to do any damage with or, or should not be uh, concerned with and letting those, those pitches go. And if you get caught on the corner, then you just got to tip your hat to, to, um, to the pitcher in that, in that case. But uh, something has got to give with Kellenick in this regard. And, uh, you know, if things don't turn around, Kyle Lewis is going to come up relatively soon, as mentioned at the top here. Does he take his place in right field while you send Kellenick down? Or is Kellenick just a platoon player that you play um, against, against right-handed pitchers? Um, because that seems to be where he's trending at this point. Do you get, do you send him down to AAA to just get his confidence back, have him just make, you know, better, better bat on ball, get some, some easy buckets, if you will, to, to steal an analogy from, from basketball. Um, that's, that's an option. The Mishaniger injury also complicates things because you don't necessarily have a backup right fielder in that case, and unless it's Dylan Moore. Uh, but the other question is with, with Kyle Lewis coming up, we don't even know if he can play right field at this point, right? We don't know if he is just going to be a DH to protect him as much as possible, or if they are going to slot him into right field. So lots to figure out with Kellenick. Uh, the power is there, right? I think, I think he has a role 
you can see him being this guy who hits 225 and is a little bit frustrating with swing swing miss stuff sometimes, but uh, is still bashing 30 home runs a year and has value to a team um, with great defensive abilities in right field, right? That player is still very valuable, but we're not even there yet. And that's that even that version that I just described is not the player that I think we all thought we were going to get uh, when, when the Cano trade happened and when Kellenic was destroying every level of the minor leagues before he got up to, uh, to, uh, to where he is now. In more enlightening news, or in more, uh, I, I guess it's just a positive news with young Mariners outfielders doing well, Julio Rodriguez. Uh, this was uh, a very strong trip for Julio in, uh, in, in Florida, um, and, and as of late, he has really been demonstrating the tools, right? The, the physical prominence of his abilities is, is evident, right? And that's, that's not something that you say about baseball players very often. I remember in the, the first solo show I did at the top of the season, uh, that was kind of how I was describing him of like, th- this is, this is a baseball freak that you're watching. And, and, you know, usually you talk about that of like basketball players who are just doing these putback dunks, jumping out of nowhere, double jumping. Uh, and you can see the power of their play. It's not as evident in baseball, but with Julio, it absolutely pops off the page um, at Alex Meyer 34, who's the M's Mariners baseball info coordinator, great Twitter follow for uh, some, some great nuggets about the Mariners. Uh, said that Julio was the only Mariner since the, in the StatCast era, so since 2015, to register a 450-plus foot home run for his first home run, I believe that was Sunday, and a 30 feet per second sprint speed in the same game, right? So the, uh, the, the raw power and raw speed of Julio being, being that evident is, is uh, tantalizing because there are very few players in baseball who have that level of speed and that level of power. These are the guys. These are the guys who are top 10 in baseball in sprint speed and also top 25 in max exit velocity. Okay. So in terms of just the hardest hit that they've had, um, whether it's an out or not at any point this year, Bobby Wood Jr. Baseball super freak, right. (laughs) Going to, uh, to tear things up very soon here, if not already uh, with, with the Royals super prospects um, regarded as the number one prospect in baseball heading into this season might have Adley Rushman as there as the other guy, but yeah, Bobby Witt, speed power combo. Mike Trout heard of him. Mike Trout's amazing, right? He's 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 just ridiculous that he's responded this well. Is already back to uh, to where he was from a couple of years ago. Anyone who was concerned about him, uh, you know, was only concerned about him from an injury perspective. But he's he's right back there. And then the other guy is Julio, right? So pretty damn good company, right? And those those you know it might be cherry picking a little, and they don't necessarily mean anything and. You can be top 10 in, in speed and top 25 in exit velocity and not be a, a, a high quality hitter out of all of that. None, none of it would matter. But this just shows you what, what we're dealing with in terms of potential with Julio. For, for a player to be that fast, that powerful um, is, is great. Now, the, the bat has been much better. Um, he started off uh, very rough, was striking out a lot. He's still striking out a lot. Um, he hasn't really developed um, the ability to to get on base via via walk quite yet. Um, still very low in that regard, very high strikeout percentage. But his WRC plus on the season is up to 92 overall. Again, 100 is league average, um, which is top 10 among rookies with 50 plate appearances. But since April 15th, Julio is at a WRC plus of a buck 26, and since April 22nd, that number is 191. Right. And this, again, does not include stats from uh, from yesterday's game in Houston, which he had a base hit to right. 
Um, but, uh, but yeah, this is, this is great stuff from Julio that both in the, um, you know, just the getting on base aspect of things, he's leading the AL and steals, um, had his first caught stealing last night, why they sent him on machete Maldonado is beyond me. Uh, but, uh, he's, he's, you know, already a terror on the base paths. I think he's holding his own and then some in center field. Um, the, the arm hasn't really been tested, but in terms of getting to balls and making, uh, correct reads on things, I think he's, he's shown that. Every game, it feels like his pants are dirty because he's he's either sliding to, to bases or uh, be, beating out infield singles or um, you know sliding to get balls. I mean, he is he is playing his ass off. His tools are there, and the bat has started to come around. So all positive signs from Julio Rodriguez, and uh, I think we have to be thrilled with the results so far and uh, hope that the growth from him continues throughout the year. So that's the three outs, right? We talked about Julio, talked about Kalanick, and then we talked about this this. Uh, uh, very frustrating Florida trip, which just seemed like a Babbitt nightmare for, for the Mariners. Um, hopefully that they can get back on track tonight against Houston and uh, get in a good position to maybe do damage against Verlander, but that would be uh, Matt Brash versus Justin Verlander. So uh, could be a rough one there, but <laughs> the bad news is that the schedule does not get any easier for the Mariners. They've got trips to, to Boston coming up trips to uh, city field to play the red hot Mets, going to Toronto or they will be shorthanded probably due to, to vaccine issues against a very good Toronto team. Um, and also still have to play the angels who are playing very well. Um, and the A's are, are back weirdly above 500. So, you know, th this is, we're going to find out a lot about this Mariners team in the next, next three weeks. And as we get into um, the early June section of the season. So I will end this with, uh, with a bike ride and a hydro. I know this is everyone's favorite part of the show, even if they have no idea what, what those things mean. Uh, but the Eric Burns bike ride of the week goes to the state of Florida and specifically to Lone Depot, right? Of course, Florida's or Miami Marlins uh, park is named Lone Depot park. You can already imagine what type of company that is. This is a, a for-profit, uh, you know, commercial lending vehicle to provide people with the money that they need to buy houses or whatever um, at, uh, you know, garish, interest rates and ultimately uh, to ultimately to um, to make money off of people not paying their their loans back loan depot on wallethub.com review site has a rating of 1.5 stars out of 272 reviews uh, this is just one of the reviews I picked out from loan depot lies 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 after three months still not funded my refinance loan I had to sign two times docs because they, they screwed up the first time. Now it's been a week and still nothing happened. I don't think they will ever fund. I lost so much money with Loan Depot by waiting on them. Now I have to start the process with a real bank and not with the Loan Depot crooks, capital C crooks there. They promise you the moon when they when you call them, but when then they are short-staffed and cannot do a thing as the employees leave. And so no one takes responsibility. Warning, do not deal with Loan Depot. You may lose your house. This was a theme, right? This was just like one I randomly picked, but there are tons like this. Uh, not that anyone here would be using Loan Depot for anything anytime soon, uh, but uh, just hilarious to me that Miami's Park is uh, is sponsored by these these uh, a holes at Loan Depot, and uh, it's a gross park for lots of reasons, including that. My hydro hydros go to Scott Service, not the Revenge Tour. Uh, what's up, a favorite listener of ours, uh, Scott Service, for finally getting ejected, arguing balls and strikes after another called strike three. Uh, took uh, on the fence one took uh, took Julio out um, or struck him out. I uh, believe that was in the 
Tampa series. Uh, Scott did this all with a mask on because he still uh, was in COVID protocols or able to 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 manage the team, but just with a mask. Um, and so getting getting torn out or getting thrown out of a game with a mask on, uh, polite, respectful, the right thing. Um, you know, uh, stop the spread, but also stop the bullshit, right? From Scott, I love that. And then my second hydro goes to JP Crawford. I don't have the stats. I don't have the, the stat cast. I mean, you can see JP's average is dangerously close to 400. Um, his, you know, his defense has been not as, as airtight as it normally is from him. He's had some tough throws, but um, you know, just ultimately a guy you can depend on as, as one of the best shortstops defensively in the game. Finally, the hit tool is looks amazing. The power's there. His uh, he's mastered the, the, the Ken Griffey jr. Post Homer, stance it's it's kind of scary how close he looks uh to that of just that that complete gyration around with the bat speared into the dirt um after you know you've you've pimped one and uh he is he's awesome jp crawford is is uh compensated he's he's not in arb anymore he's you know on that five for 51 million dollar deal with the team it's going to be around a long time uh and he's producing and it's it's really really cool to watch because he is such a cool player uh, such an awesome uh, development story of the Mariners taking a, a, a failed prospect or a failed development situation with the Phillies and turning it into their own success story. Um, and, uh, and they chose Crawford over the litany of shortstops that were available to spend money on um, in this offseason and said, no, Trevor Story, if you're going to play for us, it would be at third or we would find a home for you that's not short. Um, you know, you might play short every once in a while, with, give JP a day off. But uh, J.P. Crawford is our shortstop. Said the same thing to Marcus Simeon. Um, you know, these are all kind of heard through the grapevine things, or you can you can read the tea leaves by the situation unfolding. And you know, the same thing to Korea, same thing to to Kyle, to Corey Seager um, as well. So I mean, that's it's just really 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 cool that uh, J.P. Crawford is performing this well, um, and uh, I hope it continues. But even eighty percent or seventy percent of what we're getting right now is awesome for JP Crawford because the glove is there and what we're seeing right now is, is ungodly. So keep it up, JP. Uh, thank you everybody here for listening. If you are uh, still with it this, at this point, make sure to give us a five-star review, uh, tell your friends to follow us. Um, we've really got a good thing going with this podcast, um, especially now that I've uh, taken Phil off of it completely. I think we're, we're even in better shape. Um, no, totally kidding. We'll get Phil back as soon as possible here next week. Um, but, uh, but yeah, appreciate everyone for listening and, uh, go M's and we'll talk to you next week.